Nicolas Cage is probably one of our generation's definitive actors. Hello and welcome to Cage Fighting. It's your main man, Andy Gillard here. Hope everyone's good out there. Matt Guy here. Hope everyone's having a good end to the month. Or when is this released? February. February thus far. We're actually in February now. There's no excuse. You know what? My, the, all the days just roll into one on, on lockdown. We're in just we're in just lockdown three. That's all you need to know. Yeah, it is difficult to uh, to keep up with it. And obviously. The third member of our party. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah me. <laughs> Gary Faulkner, USA. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, that leads us straight into the film we're here to discuss. 2016's Army of One. Preconceptions of this film. Um, did we know about this film before? I mean, personally, I'd never heard of it until seeing it pop up on Cage's IMDb. Matt? Are you in the same boat as me? Absolutely. And like it, it doesn't appear on any kind of Amazon Prime, here's what you should watch next list. <laughs> like I don't know what you need to be watching to have this pop up as a suggested like watch. No, I had I hadn't heard of it at all. The, Stu? the opposite the opposite's happened for me now though. I mean it, it threw up five different cage films that I, I again hadn't heard of after watching this one. So it's like the, like the secret domain and now no clue. I mean, when when we went hunting for it to see how we would have to obtain this one, and I found it, and I, well, we, we've said it before, but I just burst out laughing at the cover, just just looking at him, looking like a cowboy. I thought, oh, this is going to be this is great already. Yeah, well, there were two like movie posters that I found. There's one which is a haggard-looking Nick Cage, where he looks a little bit overweight. Obviously, he's got the grey hair and beard. Stood next to Russell Brand. Or there's the other one, which is Cage sat on a donkey whilst holding a samurai sword <laughs> in front of an explosion stood uh, next to uh, a dude who looked like Osama bin Laden. So, I mean, that like that kind of tells you this film is going to be a different breed, if nothing else, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I almost ended up watching the 2020 Army of One that's come out, which nearly, yeah, caught, keeps popping up. Which nearly caught me out in the same way. That when I first started to watch The Walking Dead, I ended up watching Waking the Dead. <laughs> <laughs> I think it, when are the zombies going to turn up? Trevor Eve, though. Trevor Eve's great in there. <laughs> and he's the uh, so we... daughter in uh, Star Trek as well, to be fair. I've never seen Star Trek. What? I've seen the films. I've seen the, the films, the yeah. new films, but I've yeah. never seen the original stuff. Alice Eve? Oh, of course, yes. She's the Trevor, yeah, Trevor okay. Eve from Waking the Dead. He's his daughter. Amazing. Okay, I didn't realise that. Um, so we've watched a few Cage comedies at this point. Like, he has got comedy chops, hasn't he? He knows how to deliver on the comedic beats. So going into this film, I've got to admit, I wasn't, I wasn't worried. I thought, actually, he will do a good job. We know he's got this in his locker. Even if the films haven't always hit the mark, he's usually acceptable at what he does, don't you think? I think like his comic timing is good and his use of being able to not read the room, but 
I think he just knows his place with his character in, in a comedic sense. Like it's never, if it's over the top, it's because the scene demands him to be over the top or, 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 or the plot demands him to be over the top. I, I didn't worry that it was going to be shit because it's Nick Cage in a comedy. <laughs> I thought it was mm. going to be shit because I just looked at the poster. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas... Stu, have you watched the um, trailer for it yet? I have now, yeah. And if I'd seen that trailer in the cinema, I would have been pre-ordering my ticket straight away. Because it's, I mean, as we've already established many times, this is exactly my kind of film, and it's so stupid and so ridiculous. And you throw in comedy cage as well, which we we have liked pretty much on the whole. So I was well well up for it. Um, so the only thing that we sort of new going in is that Russell Brand was going to be the co-star in this film. I'm not a massive fan of his acts in general. I, I know there are some people who do like him. So obviously he does come from a comedy background. Matt's opinions on Russell Brand in, in general rather than just the film. Yeah, so Russell Brand as an act, as an actor, I'm not a massive fan of. You know, forgetting Sarah Marshall stands out for me. Um, mm. uh, I'm not overly enamoured with him as an actor, but as a celebrity figure, let's say, or as like, he's always on like Saturday brunch or like things like that, or like the celebrity bake-off he was on. And he was absolutely tremendous. I think when he's not acting, he's actually very good um, as a comedy, mm. as, as a comedian, let's say. I don't think as an actor, he, he's quite got it though for me. No. I um, First time I saw, I saw him was on Big Brother's Little Brother when he was um, hosting that on E4. And so I never watched MTV, so I never knew him in his drug days. But I've seen him live at the Civic, me and Mark went to watch it, and it's the funniest show I've ever seen. He was absolutely superb. And he was... I mean, there's very hazy old camera phone footage somewhere that I'll, I'll find when he was running up and down the stage and doing his over-the-top stuff. But yeah, like I said, when, he, when he's been himself, he's great. But... His history in films, I mean, I don't mind forgetting Sarah Marshall and St. Trinian's as well. That's not mm. too bad. Um, but it's not his strong point until now. <laughs> uh, the other name that I sort of know of is the director, Larry Charles. He's a name I recognise from Curb Your Enthusiasm. He's directed a handful of episodes, but he's also the exec producer on that series. He's also directed the first Borat movie. So, like, neither of those films realistically need much in the way of direction. Like, Curb Your Enthusiasm doesn't need it. You've got Larry David on set. Borat is very much a case of you just let Sasha Baron do whatever the fuck he wants and you're just there to film it. That's your only real job. The other films that he did were the Bruno movie and The Dictator. And I got I thought both of those were really quite poor. Mm. So seeing this director's name on this did make me think this is probably going to be closer to the other two than um, Curb or Borat. I don't know. Well, I've never, I haven't watched Dictator just because I thought if I went back now, I'd probably find it hilarious. But I like I like Bruno. It's obviously nowhere near Borat or Ali G in the house, um, but. Yeah, the dictator was one, and the um, the Grimsby one as well. Oh, um, that's a bad one. That was they, them two had no appeal to me whatsoever. So I, mean, I went in knowing that this was Nicholas Cage with a samurai sword, 
and Bin Laden. That's all. I didn't know Russell Brand or anyone else was in it. Um, so it was a nice surprise that he just popped up. So here we are, 2016, Army of One, which IMDb describes as. Frustrated with the US government for its fruitless efforts to bring down Osama Bin Laden, the eccentric, middle-aged, part-time construction worker Gary Faulkner, after a personal visit by God himself, takes the decision to embark on an adventure to the badlands of Pakistan with the intention to capture and bring the most infamous yet leader to justice. I think that sums it up pretty well, to be honest. <laughs> and uh, cut. <laughs> That's it. So you need to know. Yeah. <laughs> What's up, man? You who? Gary Faulkner. I had so many fantasies about you in high school. I must have gone through about 100 boxes of Kleenex. That is disgusting, but I'll take it. Hello, Gary. God, I've got a favor to ask you, Gary. A favor? I need you to go over to Pakistan and capture Bin Laden for me. Capture Bin Laden? We're talking about destiny, Gary. Yes! You and Osama Bin Laden. That's crazy. No, I have a lot to do. I'm planning and training. Hey, man, I don't want to be that guy, but I'm pretty sure you can't fail to Pakistan. I'm sailing! Is this Pakistan? No, senor. Reason for visits? Taking care of business. So how do you like it here in Pakistan? Pakistan is very, very beautiful. I love America, so we're even. I love America, too. What's this? An American's at loose in the slums of Islamabad. He's searching for Osama bin Laden. He's obsessed. Hello. Damn it. You afraid of anything? Does anything scare you? Your bizarre fantasy that somehow you're James Bond or something. Ah, God damn it! You see that motorcycle? He's gonna lead us to Osama Bin Laden. Are you serious? Oh my God! Get in the truck, Gary. Yes, Lord. Don't yes, Lord me. Yes, Lord. I said don't say that. Yes, my Lord. What's this now? What's this? It's not Aladdin. I'm not a genie. Welcome, Al-Qaeda Crips, to my cave. My name is Osama Bin Laden. But this is my homies on the left here. This guy here, he make them white boys tremble, so we just call him Milkshake. The film begins with God talking to a young Gary Faulkner. That's Cage's character, but uh, he isn't in it just yet. He's telling him that one of his bullies is going to become a method and that the stick he is carrying is actually God's sword that he has bequeathed him. Cut to the modern day. Before we go any further, wig watch. Is that his natural hair and he's dyed it? Is it? Do you think he's actually going grey? What are we thinking with it? I've never seen him grey before, so I don't know. No, neither have I. It's a, if it is, it's an excellent wig for a change. Because mm. it look, it does look realistic, but at the same time, you cut to what we talked about earlier in the week with the history of swear words and the, his hair in that, where it looks like he's sprayed onto his head. <laughs> and that's that's only four years after this. So I'm kind of inclined to believe that that is his actual hair, even if, it's, been, if it's dyed for effect and his beard as well, which looks real. So 
for this one, I'll I believe it is real. Yeah, you might have a weave in there to make it a little bit longer, but yeah, I'm thinking it's probably his uh, his natural hair. Fortner is having some dialysis and he's sat there next to two others whilst his motor mouth is going off, spouting some conspiracy theory bollocks in a high-pitched <laughs> squeaky voice. It was unsettling, shall we say. <laughs> Clinically speaking, he's as sane as you or me. But you be the judge. Worst part of having this bad kidney getting dialysis three times a week is they won't let me eat chicken wings. Man, this country makes the best goddamn chicken wings in the world. Now, I haven't seen the whole world. I haven't tasted the chicken wings in Africa. But I'd be willing to bet the right ball on a broke dick dog that no place makes better wings than they do here. Some other reasons America is the best country ever, fastest cars. Now, some douche nugget pointed out that the Italians and the Germans make faster rides on account of their Ferraris and their Mercedes. Well, I'm talking about now. And fascist automobiles. Also, I'm pretty sure more people kick ass here than in any other country. I mean, some people claim that you can't quantify kick acidness. Those are usually people whose asses have been recently kicked. What is crazy? I mean, is crazy bad? Wasn't it crazy to believe all men were created equal? Wasn't it crazy to believe in life? I mean, we have. I think we have to ask the question now: Is this accent trapped in paradise levels of terrible? Oh, it's, well, it's his Dana Carvey, isn't it? I At first, I was exactly the same. And yet again, I had to think what you were even talking about then, because that film, again, has, has gone from my mind. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it was not... I know we're going to skip ahead. Everyone should have seen it by now anyway. But when you actually see the guy who it's actually based on, who's an amazingly a true story, he's obviously it's taking off him, mm. and that's his voice. So... I'm, retrospectively giving him a pass for it but at the time I do think this is ridiculous it, it is annoying like it, it's a decent I don't want to say impersonation that's not the right word but so the homage. Yeah, it, it's a good yeah homage but it's still fucking annoying incredibly incredibly yeah. annoying <laughs> after the dialysis Faulkner is sat in a bar with his two mates they're watching the news discussing the hunt for Osama bin Laden Oh, I was so tempted to do an impression then, but I'm not going <laughs> to. Government clones, they're botching up the plan to get Bin Laden. I'd go in there and boost that fucker out there from under their noses. <laughs> a Marine overhears Faulkner bad mouth in the armed forces and tells him to shut up. Faulkner pulls out a 10-inch hunting knife, <laughs> <laughs> only to challenge the Marine to a game of throwing the knife closest to the bullseye. The Marine gets close. Faulkner throws it straight into his shoulders, his friend's shoulder. <laughs> I did chuckle at this. Like I, there aren't a lot of laughs for me in this film, but I wasn't expecting that at all. I thought that was very well done. Yeah, it was the one moment in the film where I, I, I audibly laughed out loud because I, I the, it was just set up in a way that I expected him to hit it smack in the bullseye. Like yeah, yeah, I, it was set up that way, and then when he didn't, it just it was completely out of the blue. Whereas. Any other kind of slapstick comedy, he hits that he hits the man. But for some strange reason, I just had it in my head that he was going to hit it. Bang on. Mm, absolutely. 100% with you. Uh, so we're about 10 minutes in at this point. It does feel like quite a lot has gone on. We see that he's been talking to God, that he's not a well man. He's got a motor mouth and tinfoil hat theories. Like early doors, I'm feeling quite positive. They've set up a lot and it looks like it's going to be a bit crazy. It obviously is going to be low budget, but I thought 
this might be fun, if not particularly anything else. Stu, what were your initial thoughts? I was wiping the tears from my eyes at this point. <laughs> I think the um, the whole dartboard thing did. I mean, I was what the first time. I mean, let's put this out there that this is the first one of the in six months of doing this that I've watched twice since we <laughs> uh, we start. We said that we were going to talk about it because I loved it so much the first time round, and with a sensible head, it's probably. It's probably not as funny as I thought it was, but the um, it was much more interesting than I thought the poster made it look. That's for sure. And the whole the whole dialysis thing was just I thought, oh, he's actually there's actually something wrong with him. Maybe maybe he's hallucinating this whole thing. I mean, well, probably is anyway. But um, mm. this whole talking to God thing, and he's sitting there being treated, and he looks like a mess, and. I didn't expect it to have any kind of backstory whatsoever. I thought it was just going to be nonsense. And mm. there was a little bit of it. <laughs> Matt, what were your first thoughts on the, the opening 10 minutes? Well, I texted you two and I said, uh, is this the best film of all time or is it the shittest? And it's pretty much exactly <laughs> that. Like, I just, I, I really couldn't put my finger on, on how I felt about it at first. I wrote in mm. my notes about how I really wanted it to be a like an ironic look at Americana, but I don't think it's clever enough to be that. No, um, and I really wanted it to be, <laughs> but after the first ten minutes, I thought, well, I've, well, I've I've laughed out loud at it, and I've I, I like the idea of it, I guess, but I wasn't that the jury the jury wasn't out yet, at least at the start. The following day at work, Faulkner is wandering around spouting nonsense to whomever is in earshot. Why would you buy a shower head from a country who don't take showers? <laughs> don't buy that toilet. That toilet was made in Africa. That toilet was made by pygmies and they take small shits. I don't know what you're putting up, but that ain't going to hold it. <laughs> Why would you buy a shower head from a country that doesn't take showers? <laughs> Don't buy that toilet. That toilet was made in Africa. Pygmies made that toilet, and they take small shits. Your turd, your potty, your poo, as it were, won't make it past the flusher. You who? Now, seriously, why would you buy a faucet from a country in the midst of a drought? I don't know what you're putting up, but that ain't gonna hold it. I want you to trust me, because I'm probably the only person in this whole store that'll tell you the truth. Now, if you need anything at all, you call me. I'm Gary Faulkner, your go-to handyman. Again, like I was chuckling along, like this is ridiculous. Uh, but whilst he's at work, he sees Marcy Mitchell, and literally the first thing he says to her is that he had a crush on her at high school, and that he wanked himself silly over. <laughs> Listen, you've got the to take. You've got to take. To you've got to take your shot. You know what I mean? If that's we, you know, we're we're past dating now. You know, in the in the same way, that might just be how people do it these days. You just you just don't know. Maybe. <laughs> they agree to a date, but she says that only if he can find her. She doesn't give him a number or an address or anything like that. Just the instruction that he needs to find out if they're going to go on a date. What the fuck? During the next bout of dialysis, God speaks to him once again. He asks him to capture Osama bin Laden. <laughs> Faulkner finds where Marcy lives and she just lets him in. This is fucking insane. A strange man rocks up at your house when you haven't given him the address and she just lets him into the life. 
In order to fund his holy quest, Faulkner goes to Vegas and wins a shitload of money, only for Mexicans to attack him and steal that money, <laughs> telling him, stay out of Pakistan. Faulkner wakes up the day after, telling his friends that he's lost all the money. And they remind him, no, you haven't been mugged. You actually lost all of it when you got to the tables. He was just having hallucinations brought on from his dialysis. I think this broke the film for me. Because at this point, I immediately thought, we can't believe anything in this movie. Hmm. Because we know he's an unreliable narrator. We know he has hallucinations. So do any of these actions, did they actually take place? I don't know what it was, but I don't know if maybe that reveal needed to come a little bit later, personally. I don't know what you two think about that. There was a perfect place for it to be revealed. Um, And it's about 15 minutes from the end. I mean, mm. it, you would have probably got it anyway, and I would have been oblivious as usual. But <laughs> even so, yeah, that was when he was when it was the Mexicans taking the money from him. I thought this is just getting it. This is getting better and better. And I, I, I did kind of, I did have the same kind of thought of you as well. That I was kind of disappointed when they said no, it didn't happen. Matt, how did you feel with the unreliable narrator motif coming in this soon? I, I. I didn't think I didn't think too much of it really in terms of in terms of knowing like what it's going to give away towards the end. I I actually I saw it at the time as okay, well this might be a little bit more interesting than on actually that it's going to it might be a bit more off the wall than I anticipated originally. Like it might go down the the line of when I think it's in the Tenacious D movie where Jack Black eats magic mushrooms, put it like that. Can you like, <laughs> like down that line as opposed to anything else? Um, I, I wasn't as invested in it though, like worrying about how it's going to ruin it. Like I never, I didn't put my heart and soul into this film, like <laughs> thinking about like, like I would if like someone ruined the end of the sixth sense, for example. Okay. <clears throat> After losing the money, he goes to speak to his doctor and he tricks him into giving him a grand. He ends up getting a boat and tries to sail to Pakistan <laughs> and somehow ends up in Mexico. He realises that sailing is a bad idea for someone who has no idea how to sail and who can't swim. So he decides to glide into Pakistan instead with his katana blade. When Fortner goes to get the hand glider, he goes to the local sports store and knocks over the kayaks. That's the second laugh of the film for me. And then they're talking oh. talking about um cutting it up and you no, know, you can't cut it up into pieces. It has to be like this. And it, you see got the, the whole pit when there was the section where the um the the um the harbour parking warden <laughs> comes over as well <laughs> before he before he tries to sail to uh, Pakistan. Mm. That that got me giggling as well, Again, for no reason whatsoever. Just because it was stupid. The whole, the whole thing of him just standing there and trying to, you can't even say the name of the sail properly. But again, <laughs> when he was when he was on the boat, I was thinking, is this another one of the dreams? Mm. Yeah, same. Fortner goes to Israel with his hand glider and samurai sword on the plane and jumps off a mountain. <laughs> we next see him at Marcy's. He makes a really nasty comment about the kid being a cripple. He, he obviously doesn't mean it, but the words he uses, I think, were really like quite nasty, to be perfectly honest. And I think we get a couple of these moments where 
like he's referred to this young girl who's got cerebral palsy as a cripple on a couple of occasions. There are other moments like he just randomly turns up at a woman's house where he's not even supposed to know where she lives. He starts repairing a ramp and doesn't get round to fixing it for ages, even though this young girl needs this ramp. He comes across as a bit of a prick, I think. It's not like he's someone who's just out of his depth. Mm. He seems like a bit of an arsehole. I found it quite difficult to root for him, to be honest. Yeah, he's not like a lovable rogue or like a dim-witted, lovable idiot like Mr. Bean or something. He's like he's he is actually just a bit of a cock. Mm. Um, though the the most entertaining parts of his films are his like one-on-one interactions, like at the airline security baggage desk and and the sports store and things like that. You know, he, that was probably his, his most entertaining parts where he's getting like frustrated and you like see his like his angry side, but. Um, it's hard to it's hard to feel any kind of empathy for the guy. And I, maybe you're not supposed to. Maybe maybe we shouldn't be looking at it mm. that deeply. But he's not a very likable character. I just thought he was a bit thick, and he he just don't know what he's saying. I mean, he, it's already kind of hint. I mean, the fact that he's going to Pakistan to get Osama bin Laden in the first place, saying that hey, the mark of a sensible man is he? And <laughs> <laughs> even if it is, he's being taught to by God. But I just thought, well. This bloke is clearly on his own for a reason, and he's—we don't really know where his job is because he's just this kind of—he just does a bit of everything for people, and he knows he's got friends that are kind of when they're fixing the ramp and they're kind of mentioned as just being his friends, they're never mentioned again. <laughs> but he never seemed to be any any malice in it. He just didn't know what he was doing. He was just a bit stupid. Mm. Uh, the other thing I didn't like at this section. Like, there's no narrative structure to this film. It just jumps all over the place. Mm. And I don't know if that's down to the hallucinations or what. But if it is down to the hallucinations, we don't get told they're hallucinations. So did he actually jump off the mountain in Israel? Because he just ends up straight back at Marcy's, seemingly the next day. There's no there's no transition yeah. from going from there. To, I found that really bizarre. And I, I don't know. I just really struggled with it in these parts. I mean, he could have quite easily got on the hang glider in the shop and fell down and broke his leg, mm. thinking that he was in Israel. Yeah, there was an element for me, and I know it's like, it, 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 why live low so relentlessly in the real, the real world, Matt, kind of things, but he has to lend a grand to get a boat, but they can get flights to Pakistan here, there, like two or three times, <laughs> like quite easily, and have the mm. money to go on a trip and have all his money like stolen when he's out, like... There's just something I was like, are they just do? Are they just saying like just suspension of disbelief and that's fine? Or actually, is it is it more clever than I think? And it's because none of it's actually happening. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. It's uh, it's it's pushing it a little bit too far, I think personally. Um, next, Faulkner tells Mar- Marcy that he loves her, but she resents the fact that he is obsessed with getting Bin Laden. Faulkner decides to settle down with Marcy. As soon as he does this, though, God comes to him again and threatens to destroy him if he doesn't get back to it. Like, okay, so I know we've said before this that you're not really big fans of Brand as an actor. Has anything about this film changed your mind? What did you think of him in this? Personally, he didn't really do anything. He just seemed to be Russell Brand, but on film. That's, that's, so I, yeah, that's why I liked it, because he wasn't acting. He was just pissing about. 
Yeah, there is an element of that actually. So I refer back to um, in Bake Off where he was like, he was, they asked to do like a cake about like the happiest moment of his life with like loads of biscuits or something. And he did like the birth of his child, like including like biscuit formed labia. Basically, did a, <laughs> he basically did a, a biscuits of his wife's vagina in the birthing pool. We did it with such a straight, like focused face, and he did exactly that in this. Um, and I found it really, really like quite entertaining his delivery of like the like when he's talking about, you know, he's a sweary god, and that's always going to be funny, I guess. Like he's mm. not god like the almighty, you know, like the caring, loving god that the the you know. Other publications will have you believe. I think he was quite. I think he was okay in it. To be fair, he he didn't detract from it. And with what with how we'll talk about the film to when when we judge it at the end, he certainly couldn't have made it any worse. <laughs> so Faulkner has to get a visa from the government to enter Pakistan to capture Bin Laden, and that is exactly what he tells the person who is giving the visas out that he's going to capture Bin Laden. I mean that that's not going to happen, is it? <laughs> Faulkner manages to get to Pakistan. He's running around with his sword, threatening folks, getting mugged, and getting pulled into a CIA plot. I, I, I just feel like everything we're watching at this point is a hallucination. I don't buy a single second of what's going on. And I also feel a little bit mean watching this film at this point. Like, Gary Faulkner isn't a character of comedy. He's a man who is actually ill. Like, th- this is a dude who has got some serious mental health issues. This isn't a. I just don't find it funny to be laughing at someone who, like, there is clearly much more at play than what is going on here. It doesn't sit right with me. Well, mm. you say you say one man's mental health issues is another man's religion. So you don't know, do you? It's one, one of them things. Uh, he's, when, when you when you kind of, I mean, I'd never heard of the bloke either before this film and and his appearance at the end in the credits, um, but. He's made his money off it, so he can't be that mad. I do, yeah. I think there's an element for me that when they sh- when they showed his appearances, and then uh, and then then there's that little thing saying he's going to use this for this uh, the proceeds or the profit or the or his you know the the rights to this film to fund his trip to go like out again. I did think to myself, there there probably has been an element like a quite a high element of consultation with him. I don't think. Hmm. They're going to be as callous as to, uh, you know, to be doing this without the blessing of the guy. I mean, as far as I'm aware, there's not a book about it, or it's like like there's no film rights that have to be sold anywhere or anything like that. I, if I was if I was him, would I be really offended by the by the film coming out? I reckon he probably would see it as a, um, I don't know. He, he like looked like he was in his element as a celebrity when he's like he's on that those brief cameo bits at mm. the end. It's probably a justification, isn't it, of what he's done? Mm. That he's got this film off it. He's got Nicolas Cage to play him in a film. So, and <laughs> however mad he is and however mentally ill he is, like Matt said, he's going to have some some input into the whole thing, and it is based on his story. So, I don't I don't care really. Mm. <laughs> I don't, I think he's. He's either really deluded, and but he's harmless, or he's an incredibly clever bloke. And I don't think there's any I th- in between. I think he's probably the former rather than the latter, <laughs> yeah. personally. Uh, whilst talking to God in Pakistan, he blacks out and then wakes up whilst he's mid-hand gliding directly into Bin Laden's cave. 
Whilst there, they have a conversation and they're both attached to their dialysis machines. Then they have a sword fight and he wakes up in a hospital with the CIA agents. Obviously, he didn't find Bin Laden and he gets sent back to the US. When he arrives back home, he becomes something of a local celebrity. And this is where the third laugh of the film comes. When they're asking Gary about a film, he says, don't I look like Nicolas Cage and gone at Connie? To chuckle Hollywood called and they want to make a movie about the G. And they said, who do you want to play? A Clint Eastwood or Dan Aykroyd? And I thought, I don't know. And then they brought up Nick Cage. And I said, Nick Cage and Con Air. Don't you think I look a little like Nick Cage and Con Air? Whilst back home, Obama announces that Bin Laden has been killed. Faulkner has a breakdown. He says that it's a lie and that he's going back to Pakistan to find the real Bin Laden. Marcy asks him to stay. He gets on a plane to Pakistan only to realise that he wants to go back to Marcy. So he returns home. The film ends with some news clips of the real Gary Faulkner. Yeah, there, there, there was there was actually one element of of the ending, like the, the closing chapters, that I actually was like, oh, like it, I must have actually put more into this film than I thought because when he was having his like breakdown about um, when Obama found him, I actually was like rooting for him in a way like to actually mm. like and then when he doesn't i thought oh the, the, this, he soured this film not that it needed souring but it soured it in in that like you actually want him to like get over it get over what he's doing not 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 carry on this fruitless search and he kind of it did he, he, he tied it up at, i suppose at the end when you know you know he sees sees sense on his third or fourth mystery funded trip to Pakistan. Stu, <laughs> mm. thoughts on the ending? I was like at the end they kind of threw the whole what would the Perry what would the Perry's body at sea for? And all the whole cons- mad conspiracy theories of how oh, actually they didn't find him after all. And which are actually still quite prevalent now. <laughs> Amazing if you mm. if if you go onto the dark web and look at the, them kind of things with them kind of people. But it was it was nice, and I suppose where he chose her and the uh, and the crippled kid, as he called her, um, over his mission. But yeah, I mean, like, like I said earlier, I was just shocked that it was an actual real bloke because <laughs> I thought, well, it's it can't it can't possibly be real, or it can't be anyone as mental as this, and it was. So <laughs> it mm. kind of it kind of gave the the madness more justification for me because I. Was, I mean, no, hiding the fact that I love this film because <laughs> it because it, it was so stupid and it, it it knows exactly what it is. There's no hidden meanings in it, and there's no. I mean, we can kind of find things for for that reason if you you needed to, but it knows what it is. It knows it's silly, and it it fully embraces it at all times. I mean, the matter the the thing with the check in the um the airport with a samurai sword, and and how he. He asked that the god has the time to put it in in the uh, in with the luggage. Just stupid, but mm. it just works. And so it kind of went from oh that was fun to oh that was actually real. And it's kind of yeah. like a mind blown moment. I think that was what I say with it for me is when it turned out that it's based on true events because it just made me feel sorry for this guy who realistically probably needs to be in a hospital to 
keep himself safe, let alone other people. I don't know. Different strokes for different folks. Uh, so the budget on this film is unknown, unfortunately, but I cannot imagine it was that cheap. I mean, we've got Nick Cage, Russell Brand, Paul Shear, Rain Wilson, Matthew Modine. Like that, there are some decent names in there, so I would have thought you'd get a bit of a bit of a budget. Wendy the... uh, McKendon Cove, uh, Melendon Cove, she's in the Goldbergs, which is like properly rose to, to fame, like before this. So imagine, hmm. um, imagine she's cost a pretty penny to get in it. I would have thought. So yeah, I mean, I was quite annoyed. I wanted to try and find out. I imagine it would be less than ten mil, like probably even maybe less than five. But I did want to know. The box office is reportedly three hundred and seventy thousand, mm. but that's international because I believe it was released on VOD in America. So I, I don't think there's much that you can really gather from the, the box office on this one. 2016, though, for Nicolas Cage, was a busy old year. This is the fifth film that was released of Nick Cage's that year. We had The Trust, Dog Eat Dog, Snowden, and USS Indianapolis, Men of Courage. I have never heard of any of those other films. (laughs) Not a sausage. (laughs) Yeah, so I'm looking forward to seeing what the rest of 2016 brings from it. Cage's resume. It will be good actually, like as a bit of data retrieval and sorting if we can work out the best and worst year of his career when this is all said and done. Yeah, I bet this is the busiest of his. I can't imagine I can't imagine there are many actors who have done five films in a year, let alone mm. you know, that's crazy. It might be one of those. Which what was it that we watched not that long ago where he is really a bit part player in it? Oh, what was the name of it? Um, where he runs the uh, Mexican hotel. Um, oh, God. Now you're asking a question. That one, basically. Um, yeah, that one. It was, oh, I can't remember. But anyway, oh, fuck's sake. It might be the case terrible. that he's barely in it or did like a jujitsu when he's in it for like, like about half it, an it hour. It could be. Yeah, very, very much so. So IMDb has this down with a rather generous 5.1. The Metacritic score is a 43. Rotten Tomatoes fan and critical response both have the same score, twenty five percent. I think that's probably where I am at, if I'm honest. So obviously the critics weren't impressed. Vincent Mancini from Film Drunk, I cannot give Army of One a positive or a negative review. I can only try to convey my utter amusement at this film. <laughs> <laughs> Jaden Mobarak from the Film Stage. The biggest draw is watching Cage embrace a character with unironic comedic flair. We haven't seen this in quite some time. Chris Bunbury from Joe Blow's Movie Network also praised critics, saying that he gives it real effort, in spite of the film being awry from the very start. However, Matt Donato from We Got This Covered, he says that Army of One contains one of Cage's worst performances to date, which is a pretty damning feat. I think that's a bit harsh. Uh, however, some people did like it. If we head over to Amazon, the <laughs> film has an average of four stars based on 87 reviews, 47% of which are five stars. Yes. Big George says the film gets five stars mainly for Cage playing the role of this American idiot so well. <laughs> <laughs> the real Gary, however, is nothing more than a drug-dealing pothead waster who has... Done that many drugs, his, ba- his brain sorry, is mush. 
Crazy as a bag of cats. Yes, hero, no chance. And Annie Mezik. The fantastic Nick Cage radiates pure comedic genius in Army of One. Based on a true story, Nick heads out to capture Osama bin Laden. He's led by visions of God, encouraging him to fulfil his destiny. My son, who hates Russell Brand, also enjoyed this film. I do like him and just made me an even bigger fan. But all the applause goes to Mr Cage. This is his movie and all the fun he had making it shows in every scene. You can't help but love this film. We sure do. So the closing part, the good, the bad and the crazy. I think we'll do the shit sandwich approach. So we'll do... Stu's obviously going to be like going all in on it. So you can start <laughs> it off, Matt. Then we'll do Stu and then we'll come to me. <laughs> so the good... Um... I actually liked they could have they could have this is what secretly makes me think that this film is cleverer than I give it credit for because they could have been really lazy with it and had like the like the the, the people in Pakistan have been like really um stereotyped in a way like mm. there is an element of it but it, it it's more contextual than comedic and he actually makes the point of saying about how like open and welcome the people are in Pakistan and stuff like that. And I think that should be praised in that they never they never took that cheap route with it, where like they made it like um they made it just a, a caricature of what we expect Pakistan to be like. And mm. I think for that reason, yeah, that was a positive. Um negative like the bad really would it was just just so disposable for me it was so like whilst whilst it was funny it was i just i just just wasn't in like i just I just wasn't grabbed by it there wasn't enough tugging at the heartstrings from the story with um with you know with with, with the with the mother and child it wasn't it wasn't like socio-political like a, like four lions would be talking about like terrorism enough it wasn't slapstick enough like a Mr. Bean or anything like that. It was just very, it was very like seven on the pH level, very safe at parts, even though it was funny. Hmm. Uh, it just, it just wasn't like it, it needed to lean in like one, one area and make it, make it more that kind of film, I guess. Um, the crazy for me really would have been, I, I, I still think that like, it just wasn't executed well, but th- there is an element there of like, it, it is a, it is a caricature of Americana. So you have this madman that goes around screaming about how great America is. And then you get people like that bloke who just, who give him the visa, who are so easily persuaded by a Trump like figure who talks about how great America is. Mm. And I want, I really want to believe that the film was actually trying to be, this ironic look at what's wrong with the yokel American and it didn't, it didn't deliver it very well, but I just don't think it is. <laughs> I really want to believe that it is, but I don't think it is. Jim. I think that I've got that in my good that it's a, it's a piss take of Trump's America, <laughs> that it's, it, it openly knows what it is. It doesn't shy away from it either. And it, it I put it in the the same kind of group as things like with stupid films like Freddy Got Fingered that are completely ridiculous and they're pointless. 
Obviously, that's not true in any way. But you can't. I'm not even going to go into why it's. It's not going to be a masterpiece, and I'm not going to even try and evaluate it like that because it's not. Because it'll be. It'll get less than the film in the Mexico that we don't know the name of. That was just boring. Mm. Um, but yeah, I liked how they took the piss out of people, and they, they did it so openly as well that it wasn't even a. It, it wasn't even hiding, like you said, the, the bit in the uh, in that the warehouse where he was saying about the toilets and all that kind of thing. And you know that people like that exist, mm, and yeah. they've mm. they've openly existed for the last four years everywhere. And even the, the leader of the free world, it was one of them. So and th- this was made before he, he before he got in term any, in um, serving his four years anyway. But even so, that's I just thought it was spot on for people like that. I mean, the bad, like we already mentioned, there was parts of it that the hallucinations thing, if that had been left till the end, it would have been much funnier. Because it could have been, well, this is just, how can this possibly be a true story? You know, it's hang gliding into Pakistan and boats to Mexico and being robbed in casinos and all this kind of thing. It, it could have just been a long line of different capers. And you think, okay, fine, on to the next one. Mm. What else is going to happen? But then... When you get at the halfway point, when you think, well, no, we know that some of this is not real. I was kind of second guessing it, but that was only the second time round of watching it. The first time round, I was just pissing myself. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the crazy, that accent, because <laughs> to go from hating it to then realizing that it was actually the kind of parody homage to an actual real person. Mm. He hasn't done that, well, what we've seen so far, he hasn't done that before. He's always had, for the most part, the same cut, his normal generic accent that he was born with, other than bad Italian in some points. Um, (laughs) So I just thought, just to keep it up, and he didn't really waver either, he kept in character. I thought that was superb. Okay. For me, my good, I thought there was some really nice camera work in this film. So there's a few bits where when he was walking through the uh, the casino bit and they had the all-seeing eye above them mm. and when he was in the airport and there was the eye above uh, where it had like all the different flight times and everything. And you had the eye on the front of the uh, truck that God was driving when he was in Pakistan. I thought the framing of some of these things are really clever. And there was one bit where he was in the bar and he was with Paul Shear's character. And there's a bit where I think Paul Shear goes and Nicolas Cage leans forward and all you can see is the outline of a beer sign in front of him that is shaped like a halo that frames his head perfectly. So there were some really little things like that. I thought this is obviously done by someone who is a competent film or mm. you know cinematographer. It was really well done. The bad. So on Kermode and Mayo... They talk about how a comedy needs to pass the six laugh test in order to be considered a comedy. Not necessarily a good comedy, but if it doesn't get six laughs, you can't call it comedy. And this didn't get that. It barely made it halfway to three laughs, to be perfectly honest. It needed to really dial up the the laughs personally. And I also thought the narrative structure was just terrible. It was all over the place. Like We know it's based on real events, but we can only judge what we're presented on film. And we saw it going from one extreme to the other, from real life to the uh, 
dream sequences and it was just an incoherent mess. I, yeah. I couldn't warm to it. I'll put that in mind as well, actually, because there was no um, sense of time in a lot of it no. either. That was that was a, a bit. It pissed me off a little bit, I suppose, because like we've said, where he goes from um, from hang gliding and then he wakes up in the yard. Well, then it cuts to him in the yard with the um, with the cast on his leg, yeah. and then the yeah, cast immediately. Then the cast is off his leg and he's on another flight to Pakistan again. Like you think, well, what's that? Six months, six weeks, something like that. No, who mm. knows? There was no. And it, it, all mm. it needed was two weeks later or whatever. Yeah. Know? Even for some kind of comic book thing that we had in Jiu-Jitsu, just to just to show the uh, transitions, <laughs> that would have been better than nothing at all. So that, yeah, I'll I'll, retro, I'll put that back into mine as well because yeah, that yeah that was annoying. And obviously, the crazy. This is based on real events. <laughs> I just don't, I, I just can't fathom it. It's ridiculous. Ultimately, I, I don't think he's the right man to base a film around because he doesn't feel like he's a hero. He feels like he's someone who's mentally ill who needs help. But that's just me. So, did you enjoy this film, Stu? Yeah, loved it. <laughs> Watched it twice. I knew what it was. It knows what it is for the most part. So, if you're if you're in a silly mood, then put this on. If you if you had a bad day and you want something to cheer you up, then don't watch this. That's not what this is for. But if you're in a silly mood, then yeah, absolutely. Two footed diving. Matt, did you like it? I didn't. I didn't find it terrible. Like I, my answer is no. If it's a yes or a no answer. But it's you know it's not one that I'm going to tell people to avoid like the plague. I'll probably mm. say you should probably watch this once and and like get it out of your system. Of course, we want people to watch it for the purposes of this podcast. But I, because we've got to have a yes or no, I'd say no. But it, it, it you know it's, it's not troubling my top five or my word my bottom five list. Put it that way. Yeah, I'm, I'm exactly with you. The same. It's I, I don't dislike it, but I don't particularly like it either. It's it's not a good film. It's, that's it's, all I can say. It's celery, basically. Yeah. I don't dislike celery as a food, but I'm not going out my way to eat it. <laughs> no, so I, I'd completely agree. And I think knowing that Nick Cage doesn't particularly like this film very much helps me come to that same mm. conclusion. So he told a reporter from the New York Times that the film was a disappointment because Larry Charles didn't get the final cut on the movie. Basically, the Weinsteins kept him out of the editing suite and they edited the film together. And that's why it feels very uneven because it's not the director's vision on screen. Mm. And I feel that you can actually see that when you watch it personally. Yeah, that makes sense why it's so disjointed then. He was Mm. too busy messing with girls, were he, than making films, hopefully. (laughs) Seems like it, yeah. So, based on this film and this film alone, was Cage good or was Cage bad? Matt? Oh, this is a proper difficult one, this is, because I don't <laughs> think that like he's necessarily bad in the film. He's just he's just in a bad film. <laughs> like, mm. like I, I actually think for what he is setting out to do, he does a good job of making an unlikable character, someone who is entirely believable as an American who is completely blind to the way that the rest of the world and society sees him. Um, 
So I've got to say, I think yes, I think he is, but in a terrible film. (laughs) (laughs) I am exactly on board with you. Like, I think you could recut this film or maybe put some reshoots in. Don't lean into the comedic bollocks. Just do a straight film about what happened. You could take this frenetic conspiracy loon and you could highlight Faulkner's mental health and stuff like that. I think it's a really good performance in an absolute turd of a film. So, yeah, I'm, I'm with you as well. I think it's a good move, a good performance from Cage. Stu, are you in agreement? Yeah, I mean, you could, you're all right. You could super cut this to be uh, an advert for not listening to uh, Karen on Facebook, basically. That's and it, it, it worked perfectly because I ain't seen a performance like this from him before at all. I think he was great. It just you believed it, and that's all you can really ask. Super. So the final question is: I want you to finish this sentence. If you enjoyed Army of One, you might also like Stu. Tell us a film or two that uh, you think someone would like if they liked this. I've already said it because <laughs> just for the sheer stupidity angle, go and watch Freddy Got Fingered. It's better and it's funnier. It's a good choice. I haven't seen that for some time, actually. And it is a proper off the wall batshit. Like, there's no depth to it whatsoever. It's just a series of nonsense, but it, it works for what it is. So, yeah, yeah. I, I dig that. Matt, finish the sentence, please. Um, I can't remember what the exact sentence was, <laughs> but the, the film was. The film was... <laughs> The film would be uh, the interview. Um, Great choice. Again, not a massively critical success. I don't think the critics came out in unison and said how fantastic this film was. But I really enjoyed it, and it is it is another one of those you know hunting for a dictator slash you know political terrorist, whatever oh. you want to call him. Um, but done done better, um, and he did get quite a lot of laughs out of me. Seth Rogen, he's, he's pretty much untouchable in everything that he does because mm. he doesn't take many risks at all, but he knows exactly what he is um, and he does it well. Um, and the interview is, it's just, it pokes fun at kind of other cultures and the American culture, but in a way that's not offensive, but it's um, just like a like a gentle critique, but I think if you did enjoy this for it's like um, it's poking fun at Americana, you'll enjoy the interview for kind of similar things. Yeah, I'd agree, and I'd agree on Seth Rogen. I love Seth Rogen. I'll watch him in anything. He's great. We've got a, a live update from Dean saying Army of One. <laughs> what the fuck? So <laughs> it looks like he's uh, he's followed our tweet and watched along. In preparation for this podcast, so uh, good Wednesday homework. So people listening to this, every Wednesday that we're going to be doing a picture pod, we're going to be giving you the update and the reminder to watch the film ahead of time. So do your Wednesday homework, people. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. <clears throat> so for me, I've got, I've gone for a slightly different route. I've gone for the comedic true story element of things. I've got an honorable mention, which is a film called The Big Sick. Don't know if you've heard of that one. Great film. Yeah. So I like Kumar Nanjari. I think he's fantastic. And it's about his uh, relationship with his now wife. When they first got together, she got really ill and nearly died. And that was when he first met his in-laws was when she was in hospital. And there's a fantastic, like the best 9-11 joke I've ever heard. 
So it's worth seeing it just for that. It's brilliant. But the one that I was actually going to recommend is I, Tonya. This is how you do a comedic real life story with an unreliable narrator. It's a very good sports movie as well. Ticks all the boxes on it. So yeah, I, Tonya starring Margot Robbie and Sebastian Stan. Crack, cracking film. That's in recommend the that alone. Yeah, it's brilliant. It was Oscar nominated and everything, so it's it's of a, a good standard. Really good. So that's another Nick Cage movie in the record books. If you've seen Army of One or any of the other films for that matter, drop us an email or send us an MP3. Let us know what your thoughts on the film are. It's cagefightingpod at gmail.com. Make sure you've got us on the Twitter as well. That's at cagefightingpod. Uh, this is where we put out all our calls for your questions or we do polls asking or as Matt's pointed out, we're going to be telling you what you need to be watching in order for preparation for the picture pods. Obviously, you're listening to us now, so make sure you hit that subscribe button to ensure you don't miss a darn episode of a question cast <laughs> picture pod or our uncaged bonus specials. Whilst you're subscribing, please leave us a review. It would really help as it helps get our name out there, and that's what we want. And finally, just thank you for giving us your time this week. We really do appreciate it. If you can tell your friends and loved ones who also like podcasts and like films, they might enjoy what we do, and we would be very, very grateful. So for this week, Matt, would you like to say goodbye? Take it easy, guys. Look after yourselves. Stu, would you like to say goodbye? Shit happens, Gary. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. And remember, pig Mr. Small Shits. <laughs> <laughs>